Hi friends, my name is Dave and I'm one of the pastors here at Cedar Mill Bible Church and I'm thrilled that you've decided to join us today because as we open the scriptures, I believe we're going to discover in this message a truth that has the power to radically change and impact our lives. Today we're continuing our series through the letter of 1 Corinthians. We're going to be right at the end of chapter 3 and on into chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, grab it and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And as you turn, I'll tell you this. The truth that we are going to learn today sort of reminds me of a gift that our family received a few years ago from my parents. We got one of these little contraptions called a ripstick. And some of you know what a ripstick is, some of you don't, but I'll tell you. It's sort of like a skateboard. It's a skateboard type of apparatus, except for that a ripstick only has two wheels. One wheel in front, one wheel in back, not four. And, and it's sort of engineered so it flexes in the middle. It can kind of twist in the middle. And the way that you ride a ripstick is you stand on it and you flex your feet back and forth. You twist it and it's this twisting motion that propels the ripstick forward. And so it's, it's actually pretty tough to learn how to ride it. Um, it's simply designed, tough to ride, but then once you figure it out, it is such a freeing feeling. It is so cool to just stand on a ripstick and just cruise around and never have to push yourself or, or pump forward or anything like that. It's just a f- real freeing feeling. Well, today's message is sort of like that. The concept is simple. It's a real simple design. But living it out can be a challenge. Learning to live out this truth can be a a difficult thing. But then once we do, once we figure out how to live with this truth, the feeling is freedom. The feeling is, is life and peace and joy. And so that's where we're headed today. Again, if you have your Bible, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to start in verse 18. I'm going to read the entire passage, and then we're going to talk about what it teaches us. Here we go. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the, world, or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours, for you are of Christ and Christ is of God. This then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? 
friends, a, a lot in our passage today. And, and when you read it through, it can feel a little confusing. It might seem like, what is Paul talking about? And so I'm going to try and break it down for you. I'm going to try and make it simple by asking three questions today that I believe this, this text answers for us. Question one, what is the problem? What is the problem that Paul is addressing? What is the problem that Paul is exposing for the Corinthians and for you and me? Question two, how are we told or tempted to fix it? And then finally, question three, what is the real fix? So what is the problem? How are we told or tempted to fix it? And what is the real fix? Here we go. Question one, what is the problem? Right away, we notice at the end of chapter three, Paul is doing a little bit of a summary, a kind of a recap. He's talking about things he's already addressed in the first three chapters. If you've been with us on this journey, you know this to be true. He's talked about human wisdom. He's talked about relying on human wisdom instead of relying on God's truth. He's talked about latching on to human teachers and trying to sort of build your self-confidence from them. But if we look closely at this passage, Paul offers this recap in order to take us a little deeper. He's going to now say, not just here's what you've been doing, but why are you doing this? Why are you so concerned that people think you're wise? Why are you so so concerned and why, why so badly do you want to name drop the right teachers, the right philosophers, the right instructors. Why? What's driving you? What is motivating you? And if we look right in the middle of chapter four at verse six, Paul tells us, this is sort of the key verse of the passage. He says this, then you, and he's talking to the Corinthians, then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. Underline those words puffed up. They're one Greek word, And this Greek word is often translated pride. Then you will not be filled with pride. But this is a special word for pride. There's a few different words in Greek for pride. This is a unique one. This is one that Paul doesn't use everywhere else. In fact, he almost exclusively uses this word for pride when he's talking to the church in Corinth. He uses it one other time in Colossians, but almost every other time or every other time, it's just for pride the Corinthians. And and here's why. There's a very specific meaning to this word. Here's what it means. It means to overinflate something. That's what this word means. It means means to blow something up, to fill it with air, to fill it like a a basketball or a balloon would would be pumped up with air. And what Paul is saying as he uses this word to the Corinthians is he's saying this, You have such a damaged and deflated sense of importance, such a lack of security and confidence in who you are, that you are now literally trying to inflate or pump up your own egos. That's what he's telling him. He says, this is why you're jockeying for position and attaching yourselves to worldly philosophies that make you seem smart because you're trying to pump up your egos. This is why why you're trying to elevate your status by associating yourself with the right teacher, even in the church, because you're so deflated and you're trying to fill yourself up. You're trying to pump up your ego. You're trying to convince yourself that you matter 
that you're important, that you're significant. And if I can impress others, if I can impress them, then there must be some value in me. Friends, let me stop us right here and ask this. Do you think we still wrestle with this today? Do you think this is still an issue for us in our world? Do we see people in 21st century America trying to pump themselves up and inflate their egos? Do we do this ourselves? Do we spend extra time trying to make sure that our social, social media posts highlight our very best features and promote our very best activities? Do we subtly or sometimes not so subtly mention our accomplishments or our achievements or our kids' accomplishments or their achievements in our conversations with family and friends? Do we compare our lives and our marriages and our friendships and our grades and our jobs and our looks and our stuff with the people around us? Do we, maybe, maybe you do this, I do sometimes, sit in a group and secretly wonder, what are these other people thinking about me? Do we spend time planning, dreaming, imagining, impressing other people, being an impressive person? Do we even try, do we even take it this far? Do we even in the church try to convince people we're spiritual? Do we spend time trying to think about praying in such a way that makes us seem spiritual, humble, kind, meek, generous, and to do it in a way that others won't notice that we're trying to do it. Are we even trying to look good and impress people in the church? Paul says, yes, <laughs> we have an ego problem. And this attempt to pump our self-importance up manifests itself in two ways. We, we, we know that we do this and we see ourselves doing this in two ways, comparison and boasting. I'll talk about them both. You'll notice at the end of verse six, Paul says, then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. That last little phrase, one of us over against the other is Paul talking about comparison. And he's saying that the deflated human ego tries to puff itself up by comparing to other people all the time. We are doing this all the time in ways we don't even often realize or notice in ourselves. C.S. Lewis talks about this in his famous chapter on pride in, in the book Mere Christianity. Here's what he says. He says, pride is something that's essentially competitive. Pride gets no pleasure out of just having something, only having more of it than the next person. You may think you're proud of being successful or intelligent or good looking, but really you aren't. You're only proud of being more successful, more intelligent, and more good-looking than other people. When you are in the presence of people who are much more successful, intelligent, and good-looking than you, you lose all pleasure in what you had because you really had no pleasure in it. Your pleasure was in more of it. You were proud of it. And pride is the pleasure of having more than the next person. A personal example for me that may seem silly to you, but it's very real to me, is a game called Cornhole. Some of you know about Cornhole. Um, it's a silly little game, really. It's ultimately bean bags that you toss and try and land on these boards and, and have a hole in them, and you're trying to throw the bean bags either on the board or even better, in the hole. And you kind of throw them back and forth, and you compete against another player. And I'll just be honest, I'm really good at Cornhole. 
I'm, I mean, it's, it's an amazing gift, really. I mean, I'm good at throwing beanbags onto boards. I am good at this game. And if I'm really honest, there's, there's some value and there's some importance in them. So there's some self-worth in me at being good at this game. But I'm really not just happy at being good at the game. I'm happy at being better at the game than other people. And this really comes out for me when I compete against my good friend, Pastor Ted Burnick because Pastor Ted Burnick is also really good at cornhole. And, and sometimes, oftentimes, he's even better than me and I don't like it. When I lose to Pastor Ted, I feel less important, less valuable. It grates on me in a significant way. Just, just a moment in time, just a piece of evidence that this passage is written just as much for me as it is for you. But the idea is that we compare. And when we find ourselves comparing, it's evidence that our sense of value and worth and importance is deflated. That's the first way that this reality manifests itself. Here's the second, boasting. Notice that Paul starts this passage, verse 21. He says, no more boasting. In verse seven, at the end of this passage, he says, why do you boast? Why do you brag? And what he's saying to the Corinthians and to you and me is this, the reason we have to talk about ourselves and highlight ourselves and promote ourselves and draw attention to ourselves is because there's something wrong with our sense of self. Tim Keller says it this way. Have you ever noticed that you don't notice your body unless there's something wrong with it? For example, I didn't come to church today saying, my toes feel just great tonight and my elbow works like a charm. No, you'd only talk like that or think like that if something had been wrong with it because parts of your body do not call attention to themselves unless there's something wrong with them. Friends, our egos, our sense of self-worth and value and importance has something incredibly wrong with it because they're, it's always drawing attention to itself. My ego and yours. How do I look? How am I being treated? What do other people think of me? These are the thoughts that are constantly running through our minds. And boasting makes us feel better. Boasting calms those questions. You don't feel good enough about yourself. So what do you do? You puff up, you boast. Verse 21, no more boasting, Paul says, about human leaders. Verse 22, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, he's, he's saying, here's one way that the Corinthians are boasting. They're name dropping. You know, Paul, Oh, you know Paul, the apostle? Yeah, the apostle, yeah, yeah. You know, when he was in town, and every time he comes to town, really, I mean, we hang out a lot because we're pretty tight. I'm pretty tight with Paul, the apostle. We're buddies, right? Oh, you are? Well, I got to tell you, my brother's wife is the sister of the famous orator Apollos. I mean, you know the guy that preaches those like amazing messages, that guy, he's phenomenal. And, and he's, when we're, we're kind of related, we hang out a lot. We Family dinners, Christmas, Easter, you know, Mother's Day, we're always together. Oh, well, you guys like Paul and Apollos. Well, you know, I'm kind of a Peter guy. I got to tell you, I'm a, I'm a Peter guy. And here's why, because, you know, Peter, he was with Jesus. 
He spent three years learning straight from Jesus. He was even with Jesus in the garden the night before he went to the cross. He saw the empty tomb. He even saw the risen Christ before he ascended into heaven. You guys like think Paul and Apollos are cool. I'm a Peter guy. He's my man. Friends, this was the Corinthians. They were puffing themselves up by name dropping. And we still do this today. Some of you know that... uh, I have a cousin who played first base for the New York Yankees. Pretty cool thing. And uh, he's retired now, but when he was playing, he was a very, very good player. He's a pretty big deal. Um, He had lots of home runs, tons of them. He multiple all-star appearances, gold glove awards, silver slugger awards. He won a World Series title. And when Mark was at the peak of his, his success, he was such a big deal that sometimes when I would go to the store and I would check out at the cash register, the ca- and I would use my credit card, the cashier would notice my name, the name Teixeira on the card. And because Teixeira is a pretty unique name, I would frequently get asked, oh, are you related to Mark Teixeira? And I'd say, yeah, yeah, it's my cousin. And then we'd have a little conversation. And can I be honest? Can I be vulnerable for a minute? It made me feel special. It it made me feel important. And when you step back and you think about it, it's actually kind of pathetic. I mean, it's kind of sad that your, that your sense of importance and value and significance has to be bolstered by being related to someone who's really good at hitting baseballs. But that's the truth. That's the reality that I was constantly faced with. And it's our common human problem. It's a problem for me and for you and for everybody else in this world. It's the problem that Paul is highlighting for us here today, that our sense of value and importance and significance has been deflated and we are all trying to inflate and pump ourselves up. That's the problem. Question two, how are we told, how are we tempted to fix it? Look at chapter four, verse three. I care very little. This is Paul speaking. Paul, he's talking here about where his sense of value and worth and importance does and does not come from. I care very little, he says, if I am judged by you or by any human court. That word judged, it's the Greek word that really means verdict. Verdict. And Paul is saying, One of the ways that we are all tempted to puff up and create significance for ourselves is by impressing others, by getting a verdict from the people around us. And the image here he's using is that life is like a courtroom. And every day there's prosecutors and defense attorneys. And and our goal, our goal as we go through life is to that the people around us will judge us to be good and affirm that we matter and determine that we're successful and will issue a verdict that we're important and desirable and significant. That's one of the ways that we attempt to fix this problem that we face of a deflated sense of self-worth. And Paul says, I don't play that game. That's not the fix. That's not the right fix. It won't work. But then here's the second temptation. Here's what the world will tell us the fix is. Our world will say, Paul's right. He's right. Do not get too worried or concerned about what other people think of you because what really matters, the most important thing, and you know what I'm about to say, is not what others think of you, but what you think about you. 
You see, the key to knowing that you really matter, the key to knowing that you have value and worth and importance is actually, according to the world, a good self-image. It's what you think about yourself. But friends, that's not what Paul says either. Back to verse three. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. I don't care about what everyone else thinks of me. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. Paul says, I don't care too much what you think, but I also don't care too much what I think. I have a very low opinion of your opinion of me, but I also have a very low opinion of my opinion of me. Notice that he says, my conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. Paul is saying, we do not always have good self-awareness. We do not always have the right standards for ourselves. Sometimes we're too hard on ourselves. Sometimes we're not hard enough. Sometimes I can feel good and have a clear conscience and think that I'm innocent and that I'm right and that I'm all good, but maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm actually guilty, even though I think I'm innocent. What Paul understands is this. How I feel about myself can't be trusted either. It's just too inconsistent. And we've all experienced this, haven't we? The inconsistency of sort of self-evaluation, self-worth. One moment things are going great, top of the world, everything's wonderful. I feel so good about myself. I couldn't feel better. I'm cranking up the radio and singing tunes. Yeah, yeah. And then something happens. Something happens to me. I do something, or maybe nothing happens and my mood just, just shifts and suddenly now I don't feel good about myself at all. And it can happen just like that. You see, the philosophy of what matters is what I think about me, it doesn't work because it's actually like putting yourself in the courtroom again, but now, but now other people aren't the judge and jury, you're your own judge and jury. And now every day I have to live up to my own standards. And then there's this danger. When I do live up to my own standards, I think I'm pretty amazing. I mean, and then there's arrogance and narcissism and there's this inflated ego and we all know the struggles with that. Or I can't live up to my own standards or I don't live up to my own standards. And then there's dejection and self-loathing. So what is the answer here? What's Paul's answer for this problem that we're all facing of having a deflated sense of value and importance and significant? Question three, what is the real fix? Chapter four, verse three. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Friends, the word Paul uses here right in the middle of these verses is the Greek word dikaio, dikaio. And it's a huge word in the New Testament. It means to justify. It means to make righteous. This is the word that Paul uses all throughout the book of Romans, all throughout the book of Galatians when he's talking about the salvation we receive from Jesus. And so in this passage, here's what Paul is saying. Every single day in this world, people go into the courtroom. 
They live their life in, in this courtroom where their value and worth and importance are on trial. And, and sometimes the jury is what the world says about them. And sometimes the jury is what they say about themselves. But every day there's prosecution and defense and evidence being logged for us and against us. And sometimes you feel like you're winning the trial and sometimes you feel like you're losing the trial. But Paul says this, even when you think you're winning, you will not win because that courtroom can never solve this problem. Even when you think you're successful at puffing yourself up, that balloon can pop in a second. So the answer is this, you've got to get out of there. You have got to get out of that courtroom. Here's how Paul says it. It is the Lord who judges me. It is the Lord who judges me. In other words, I no longer live in the courtroom because I already have my verdict. The gavel has been slammed down about me and my life and the verdict has been declared. Romans chapter eight, verse one says it this way. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I am DKAO. I am justified. I am made righteous. I'm all good. This is why Paul says at the end of chapter three, all the value and worth and significance that you are looking for, that you are seeking out in Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, he says what? All are yours. All are yours. It's already yours. You already have that verdict pounded with a gavel and stamped into the book of life. You matter. You are important. You are of utmost value. It's already been given to you freely in Christ. You don't need these other people or these other things or these worldly philosophies to give it to you. It's already been given to you. Not because of what other people think about you, or even because of what you think about yourself, but because of verse 23, because you are of Christ and Christ is of God. It's because of who you are in Christ and what God says about you. You see, for a follower of Jesus, the verdict, the verdict of our lives, the verdict of who we are leads to our performance. The performance does not lead to the verdict. As a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, you do not have to live your life in order to prove that you matter. As a Christian, God says that you matter and now you're empowered to live your life. Those are two very, very different realities. Friends, middle schoolers, I'll talk to you for a minute. This is a thick message for you, but listen up. High schoolers, young adults, I want you to catch this early in life, but even if you're middle-aged like me or even older than me, it's not too late for you. Hear this truth. Hear what the gospel is offering you. Don't you want to be somebody who is free from the need for constant affirmation and approval from other people to feel good about yourself all the time? Don't you want to get rid of those chains? Don't you want to be the kind of person who when praise and approval comes your way, you can just receive it and enjoy it because it doesn't puff you up and create this desperate need for more. Don't you want to be the kind of person who when you walk by a mirror or look at a picture, 
You don't look and have to critique yourself and compare how you look compared to all the other people around you. Don't you want that freedom? Don't you want the kind of life where you look at Instagram and you don't have to feel down because your real life doesn't feel as good as the Facebook fantasy life of your friends? Wouldn't it feel great to be the kind of person who could genuinely, genuinely celebrate the issues of people around you without having to feel insecure about your grades or your job or your performance or your looks or your kids or your stuff? Don't you want to be free from debilitating self-critique and addicting and empty self-praise? That stuff that happens in the courtroom, don't you want to get out of there? Don't you want the confidence and freedom of a verdict that says, no matter what, no matter how you do today, high or low, win or loss, approval or disapproval, I feel good or I feel down, your value and worth and significance will not change because they have been set in stone by a God who loves and adores you no matter what. Friends, that's what's available. That's Paul's message and that's the offer of the gospel. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God slams down the gavel and says, the verdict is in. This is my daughter. This is my son. Court adjourned. Some of you listening to this message, you have never actually stepped into that reality. You've never taken a minute and prayed and, and declared Jesus as Lord and Savior. You've never said, no, that's, that's the reality I want. That's the God I want to serve. That's the God who I want to define my life, who I am and my eternity. Some of you have never, never walked into that reality. You've never received the verdict that Jesus offers you. In just a minute, I'm going to pray at the end of this message and I'm going to give you a chance to make that decision to make Jesus Lord and Savior of your life and to accept that verdict for your heart and your mind and your soul and your eternity. For others of you, you're listening to this message and maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a while, maybe for a really long time. And the truth is this, you still find yourself falling into the trap of feeling deflated and trying to pump yourself up through opinions of others and through you know, opinions of yourself. And to you, I think Paul would want to say this. Keep going back to the gospel. Don't forget the gospel. Marinate in the gospel. Spend time with Jesus every single day and let him remind you of this truth. You are mine. You're mine, you're his. No matter what the world says, no matter how you feel, you are of Christ and Christ is of God. Gavel down, determined, sealed, set in stone. Nothing can change that fact. Root your identity, root your feelings, root your value in the gospel. Do it every single day. I'll I'll leave you with one final illustration. There's two options I think in this world. There's the option of being a, a leaky basketball where 
you, you pump and pump and pump and you fill it with air and it, and it's working well and it seems just right and it's all good. And then the air seeps, seeps, seeps out. You have to keep pumping, 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 achieving, performing, working to prove that you matter, to prove that you have value and importance. That's, that's, that's option A. That's the option I think the world offers. But then there's the option that God offers. And, and I think it's this. I think it's the offer to be a bowling ball. Because a bowling ball never loses air. The bowling ball is filled with something that does not leak. The bowling ball is solid and stable and secure because it is filled with something of substance. That's what it means to walk with Jesus and to be filled with what God says about you. It will never leak. It will never abandon you nor forsake you. It will always be with you. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to walk in the gospel in this world as his people. Church, never forget this truth. You are of Christ and Christ is of God. Pray with me. Father, I pray now for anyone listening to this message who is tired of the courtroom, tired of proving themselves, tired of trying to to inflate their ego and convince themselves and others that they matter and that they are important. God, I know that is a long, tiring, exhausting, never-ending road, God. And if there's someone listening now, Father, who just wants a different path, who wants the security of being one of your children, your daughter, your son, I pray, God, right now that they would just say, Lord Jesus, I I accept your verdict about me, that that you died on the cross, that you paid the penalty for my sin, that you defeated death and rose from the grave to conquer death for me for all of eternity, and that now I can be your son or your daughter and that I can have security and peace and value and significance, not because of what I do, but because of who you say that I am. God, if there's someone who needs to just accept you as Lord and Savior today and just say, Jesus, you are Lord and Savior of my life, I pray that right now they would talk to you and that they would do it. And then, Lord, for those of us who walk with you, who wrestle with shifting from being a bowling ball to a leaky basketball, help us to remember your gospel. Let us never forget who we are. Let us anchor ourselves constantly and consistently, not in what we do or say or think about ourselves, but in what you say and declare about us. That's our prayer, and we pray it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.